Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day when you join in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we look into God's Word every day to see what He might speak to us. And as long as I'm able, I'll be bringing these by the grace of, of God, and I pray to they will bless you to the glory of the Lord. In Jesus' name, that's my prayer. I want to pick up today, I'm still in this First Peter um, chapter 1. We've been there the last couple of days, in the last couple of episodes at least. And in yesterday's episode, we looked at verses 10 through 12 of First Peter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we talked about the prophecies, how all of those uh, came through and how the prophets were. The whole book is one book with one central figure, uh, all recorded by one author, or it was recorded by many different people, but it has one author. Peter even tells us that in Second Peter, how they were all moved upon by the Holy Spirit when they wrote the words that are canonized in Scripture for us today. This was God-breathed. All Scripture, the Bible says, is God-breathed. So we talked about that and how it all points us to Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus and that we are saved through the grace and faith. We give, we have faith. God supplies the grace. It's through his grace that we are saved by faith, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. So I want to pick up today and read you verse 13 through 21 that's where I'd like for us to be today, and, and it sounds like it's a, a little bit of a passage, but it, it will go fairly quickly, I believe. Verse 13, therefore, therefore, therefore always means find out what it's there for. In other words, it's a continuation. It's a response. Because of what came before this, now this is what we need to say and do and direction that we need to have. So he says, therefore, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And that's a quote from the Old Testament, from the Torah. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. He, indeed, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So I want to pick this up and what Peter is saying here is in light of what I just told you in the earlier part of this chapter, and some of that was what we covered yesterday, verses 10 through 12, in light of that, in light of this wonderful grace, this 
um, awesome truth that even the prophets and the angels tried to look into. It was a mystery to them. In light of the great mystery, the wonderful work that Jesus has done for us, in light of all of that, now this is the application and the expectation of how it should affect our lives, how we should live it out in response. So Peter says here that our lifestyle and I listed seven things that he lists here. Our lifestyle should include these seven things. This is how we are to live as Christians in response to this wonderful news that even the prophets and the angels didn't fully understand or see. Number one, he says, gird up your loins. Now, in those days, they wore the flowing robes kind of thing. They wore uh, more robes and so forth. And they would have a belt around their, wa their waist. And so what they would do is when they needed to um, not allow for any impediment, particularly if they had to run or be ready to run or be ready to move quickly and not be able to be tripped up or stumble, they would collect and bind together those robes into and around their waist belt so that they would not be hindered, slowed down, or made to stumble in their race. It's interesting, too, I want to read you a couple of um, passages here very quickly, a couple of other scriptures. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us or the one that competes and wants to draw us away and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So even here we see the need, lay aside those things because they could hinder you, they can make you stumble, they can distract you and weigh you down and keep you from running your race because God wants us to run our race and finish it. We should seek to have the exact same testimony that Paul has in 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. He says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. He finished his course, he finished his race, he didn't allow things to distract him or stumble him up, make him, make him stumble, trip him up. He would gird up the loins, he would gird up those things so that he was not tripped up. That's what Peter's talking about here. How does that apply to us? It would apply to us that we would not let things slow us down. Just like uh, the author of Hebrews told us, lay aside those weights. Weights can be good things. They're not necessarily bad things. They're not always bad. They're just things that are weighing us down. They're things that we don't need to be carrying. We don't need to be worrying about it. Maybe it's cares and burdens we don't need to be worrying about because we need to trust our Savior, our Shepherd, Maybe it's um, extra things or distractions, or maybe it's good things that are not God things, so to speak. They're not God's will for us, even though they may be great causes. See, we all have a part to play, but we can't play the, all of the parts. 
So in other words, you know, when, when you're in a drama, for instance, or, or I'm, uh, part of my ministry is to do some dramas, and when we cast a role, the person that's playing that particular role doesn't have to worry about all the other roles. They've got that role to play. And God has, by His Spirit, chosen each and every one of us for a particular God thing or calling from the Lord. And that's where our energies need to be. Does it mean that we don't care about any of the other things? No, not at all. And there may be other ways to participate in some of these good things, such as giving of offerings to those causes or helping if, if there's a particular need at a particular time. Maybe there is a, uh, uh, an event, for instance, that your church is doing to feed the homeless one Saturday a month or something, and that may not be something that, that is your calling all the time, but perhaps you could help in that particular thing, or you could help every other month or something like that. There's ways to help. But we don't need to be burdened down by extra things that God's not specifically called us to do. And so we need to be careful and be sensitive from, to, to discern and hear the voice of our shepherd and the spirit of God to lead us. So we gird up our loins by, by not allowing things to distract us or to weigh us down and make us stumble in the way. He then says to be sober. In other words, don't let any intoxication of anything or any addiction or any obsession take over your mind, your heart, weigh you down, or impede the ability for you to have clear thinking, planning, or cognizance in the things of the Lord and in the things that you need to be doing each day. Be sober. He says to rest your hope. On the grace by which we stand. He talks about this. And Paul calls it the grace in which we stand in another place. So he's telling us, rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I see this as being assured of our salvation and not all worried about it. Not living each day wondering, well, have I done enough good things? Or, you know, did my, did my screw up today mess up the good that I've done or whatever? God wants us to be able to rest our hope in the word of God and in the promises that he has made. He has promised us that if we call upon him for salvation, we are saved. He has promised us that when those, any that come to him, he will not reject them. He will not cast them away. We are promised that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are promised that if we receive Jesus, then we have been made his children and we have the right to be called the children of God. These are things that we need to believe the Lord about and rest our hope in that they give us that assurance of salvation and that fact that we will not be condemned, but we will be welcomed, received and stand at his coming for us. So rest your hope. Be settled in your spirit. When you have made things right with God, then leave it there and rest and thank him for it and move on. Bless, blessed, blessed God, bless the Lord for what he has done for you and rest your hope and your faith in what he has promised that he is faithful to perform everything he has promised and know it in your heart. Let that give you assurance of your salvation, beloved child of God. 
he says to be like obedient children. You know, obedient children will honor their daddies, their their parents. They will trust the parents' word, and then they will obey it. It's it's um, made me think of maybe a parent that's teaching a, a young child, don't go near an electrical outlet. Now, the young child doesn't understand the danger when a child is, you know, a year old, 18 months old, two years old, whatever. They have no clue the danger of playing around with electrical outlets in the wall. They have no clue. And they might want to take their little toy or whatever and stick it in there, not knowing the danger. But a parent who loves their child is going to teach the child and going to train the child. No, you stay away from that. Why? Because you know something that that child doesn't know. And you love that child. And so therefore you instruct that child and you train and teach the child not to do those things because you know the danger it would place them in and what could happen to them. So obedient children will learn and will obey the parent and will trust that parent, even as they grow older and maybe the, the challenges and the instructions come in in higher form and in different things, like don't do drugs, you know, for instance, or something like that. But it begins with simple little things like staying away from electrical outlets and a child learning to be obedient to that parent. And the parent doing that because they trust them. So Peter is telling us here to be, or because they love the children, excuse me, not trust the children, but love the children. Sometimes my tongue gets tied up. That's okay. We're all imperfect. And I just praise God. May his word go forth in power and in might in spite of all of our imperfections. So Peter tells us here to be like obedient children. He tells us not to conform to our old passions, our old lusts, the former lusts, those passions and desires that we had before, whatever they may be, for whatever our sinful lifestyle was or our sinful tendencies or our evil um, passions were, we're not that person anymore. That person died when we gave our life to Jesus. And in the, in the course of Christian baptism, immersion, you see that pattern that's one of the things it does for us, and that, that's one of the reasons why we do need to be baptized after receiving Jesus Christ, if at all possible. It's not required for salvation, but it is important. It's a public declaration, and it's a declaration to you yourself to experience that and understand that the old man is dead. The old person that you used to be is dead and gone. And you come up from that water and you walk in newness of life. You're a new creation, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. So we are not to conform to the old ways because we are new. Then he, he says, and he quotes the Old Testament, to be holy as God is holy. You know, I used to see this as a command, and maybe you do too. And it is a command. But I see it as more than that now. I see it also as an invitation. In other words, if you see it, if you look at it um, as an invitation, what God wants is he wants relationship. He wants to fellowship with you. But he is holy and he will never, ever stoop to our level in, and become unholy in order to fellowship with us. 
So it's an invitation for us to become holy. Now, how does that happen? It happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. None of us, our own holiness, our own righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. We're, we can't do it ourselves, but we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. We are given the grace and power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to help us. And we can strive for holiness, trusting the Lord to help us along the journey. So he, he invites us into his presence when he tells us to be holy as he is holy. Continuing on in this reading, we see that we are to live a lifestyle here in this life. It says during your stay here, live it in fear. Now, that's not saying we're to be scared of God that he's got some big stick and he's going to whop us every little thing we do. But it is talking about the fear of the Lord. And the modern church does not understand or have an appreciation for the fear of the Lord. I grew up and we learned the fear of the Lord. And, you know, it did keep us. It kept us in check. It kept us living godly lives because we didn't want to cross him. We didn't want to displease him. It was a respect for his honor, a reverence for who he is and an awe of who he is. It's similar to the way a child who we've been talking about children and parents and learning to respect and honor and obey is similar to that child that will learn to respect the parents, not just because they're, you know, parents should never be mean and just demanding just because I say so. No, but we should teach the children to trust us because our judgment for them is better than theirs. Our understanding of the dangers they face or the troubles that will come later if they continue in that type of pattern are more than what they understand them to be. And so we're teaching them not just to obey, but also to trust and respect us. And a, and a good child will learn that from good parents. And so it's that kind of thing that we have the true fear of the Lord, where we reverence him. We realize that he is all-knowing, he is all-wise, and he is trustworthy. And therefore, we honor him. We seek to live a life that pleases him. We seek to not do the things that do not please him or the things that he hates. So it is a healthy fear of the Lord, and we need to obtain that. We need to revive that. We need to live in that lifestyle. And then the eighth thing, actually, I did have eight written down. I'm sorry, I said seven, but there are eight. The eighth thing is to know how you were redeemed. Know in your knower the value that God placed on you to redeem you and the price that he willingly paid to marry you, to have you as his bride, to be in a relationship with you. You were not redeemed, Peter says, by corruptible things like silver or gold that will tarnish over time or that will decay or, or you know, stain up rust or whatever. But he says, know this, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ like the lamb that was slain. And he was the lamb, the Passover lamb slain before the foundation of the world, before the world was ever created, before Adam and Eve were ever formed in the garden and later sinned and brought the curse of sin upon us and, and into the earth. 
before all of that, the cross was always plan A. There was never a plan B. When sin happened in the garden, God wasn't up there wringing his hands going, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? How are we going to redeem them? How can I ever have a relation? No, it was none of that. The cross was plan A all along. He was slain before the foundation of the world. And that, beloved, tells you how much value God has for you, how precious you are to him. He was willing to give his life for you. Know how you were redeemed, the value that God gave to you, and the price that was paid. Have this settled in your spirit and in your mind and in your heart. Don't doubt. Be assured of it. I want to read these words from a beloved hymn, and I, I know it's a very old hymn, but these are so precious, and these are words that are ever true. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That's who you are. Receive the blessed assurance if you have been born again of the Spirit of God. Receive that blessed assurance. Be settled in it. Know how you were redeemed. These words are ever true. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And if he's your Savior, he is yours. You are an heir of salvation, a purchase of God, born of his Spirit, and washed in his blood. I pray this has been a blessing to you today. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name.